Welcome to the Energy Update presented by the Institute for Energy Research for the week of June 29th, 2020. I'm Alex Stevens, and I'm joined by IER's Deputy Director of Public Policy, Jordan McGillis. Jordan, what do we have going on this week at IER? Hi, Alex. We've got two very thought-provoking pieces that I think are worth bringing up here on our recording. One discusses the potential of the United States having an orphan well problem on its hands. And for those unfamiliar with the term, orphan wells are, are what we would call drilling installations for, for oil or gas that ultimately become abandoned and, and can potentially become lights on the landscape and potential environmental hazards. But what we go into in this piece is a discussion of, of how these potential problems are dealt with. And one good example is the system that's been set up in Oklahoma. The Oklahoma Energy Resources Board is the entity that's responsible for overseeing this program. And it has a four-step restoration process that recognizes environmental standards and, and holds industry accountable from the inside. It's a process in which industry contributes to a fund, and then that fund is available for dealing with, restoring, uh, and generally taking care of potentially abandoned um, so-called orphan wells. The other key piece worth discussing is by IER economist, Dr. David Kreutzer, and he titled this, Public Transit Makes Me Sick. It's very interesting to think about public transit in this era of the coronavirus pandemic. We think of, of public transportation as potentially being a transmission vector for disease. And we decided we needed to look into this and, and see if that was a valid concern. And Dr. Kreutzer has parsed through a number of papers on this topic. And despite the reassurances of of the urbanists, it is the case that most academics have found public transit can be a significant risk factor for transmitting infectious diseases of many kinds. Scholars across the world have, have found similar results. Yosushi Okusa and Tami Sugawara found that in Japan, the local cities that have more commuting by car compared with the, the Tokyo, where there's a lot of trans transportation, have far lower transmission of diseases in general than, than in the major metropolitan area of the Tokyo region. Uh, in the United States, similar effects have been found. There was a National Bureau of Economic Research paper by Jeffrey Harris, and, and he found, and I'll quote here, New York City's multi-tentacled subway system was a major disseminator, if not the principal transmission vehicle of coronavirus infection during the initial takeoff of the massive epidemic that became evident throughout the city during March 2020. So coronavirus and, and potentially other transmissible diseases, things that are like influenza or, or other coronaviruses, are likely to be spread through public, public transit. And now, why is this relevant to IER? It's relevant because many public policy platforms involve public transit as a critical plank in environmental and or climate change responses. This is something that is a common theme among the, the Democratic Party in particular, that they want to put more taxpayer dollars, more incentives for public transit, i.e. for trains and buses, and to use uh, deterrence like carbon taxes or increased gas taxes to compel people to get out of their cars and into public transit. People weren't really thinking about the public health effects of those policies, but it's something we're going to be reckoning with a lot more uh, as we continue to deal with this unfortunate pandemic. 
It's certainly an interesting development because I know, at least in the U.S. and in certain cities, the trend is sort of a move away from public transit systems. I know here in D.C., the metro system over the past decade or so, it isn't a trend to pretty much decreasing ridership, even though they are continuing to build it out even more, extending one of the lines. That's this year true. That's open. You'll hear pundits discuss these metro systems having, uh, you know, being in a state of, of disrepair. And so people are turned off by that and they, they opt for other modes of transportation that leads to calls for more, more spending. You'll hear it talked about as a crisis of ridership because those numbers, as you said, are down despite more money being poured into these systems across the U.S. with each passing year, often, oftentimes. And as we've progressed through what we, we might call the first wave of the coronavirus pandemic, if you look at the, the numbers from Europe, where there's already, inc- there's already a lot uh, more penetration of, of public transportation, people aren't getting back into public transit in the way um, that they have picked up their activities post-lockdown with their own private vehicles or by traveling on foot or on bike. Uh, in Spain, as of May 1st, so this is, is now six-week-old data, but public transit ridership was down 80%. Uh, I believe that was a year-over-year figure on May 1st, whereas travel by car was only down 60%. So you'd seen a, a rebound after the, the most tight period of lockdown in Spain on automobile transportation, and you didn't see the same rebound right off the bat with public transit. And it makes sense. It's intuitive. People get it. You're in close proximity with with strangers on public transit. And, you know, that just creates a little bit more risk. Well, it's certainly an interesting development and something that I'm sure we'll be watching going forward and probably have a few more articles about uh, in the future. So I suspect we will. Thank you, Jordan. Uh, those articles and more of the work from IER's staff can be found at our website, instituteforenergyresearch.org. Thank you for listening. Until next week, I'm Alex Stevens.